so I was reading this story recently. Uh, in 2002, uh, a family uh, woke up, and the mom and the dad, uh, there, was a, there was a familiar voice in the house missing. And I'm a parent, and on Saturdays, you know, when I want to sleep in, at 5.30, the voices begin. You're like, just let me sleep for a few more minutes. And, but there, there was a voice missing, and when there's a voice missing and you're a parent, you, you, you notice it. Elizabeth Smart had been taken in the middle of the night, abducted, and the parents were left to figure out, what do we do now? You guys remember this story? kind of gripped our country. A few months into the search, uh, the dad stood in front of the, the news cameras, and he made this, this plea that only a father you know, and a mother can, can make. And, and he just said, Elizabeth, we are, we are searching for you. We know you're alive and we will not stop until we find you. And then he said um, to, to, to the captor who has her, please let Elizabeth come home. I mean, it was this powerful picture of a father just crying out for his daughter's life, wanting her to come home. Well, from the time that she was captured, abducted, uh, nine months passed, and there was a police officer in a small town in Utah who noticed uh, a young woman crossing the road who looked like Elizabeth Smart, only five miles from her home. And um, as she crossed the street, he just said, that, that has to be, that has to be her. And so this police officer went and engaged her in conversation and just began asking her questions. He didn't want to scare her off. Or, so he began, you know, asking her some questions, and, and she continued to answer. And um, in the middle of their conversation, Elizabeth Smart said to this police officer, I know who you think I am, but I'm not Elizabeth Smart. She was wearing a wig, and she had glasses and a, uh, like a, a turban scarf kind of covering most of her face. She said, I am not Elizabeth Smart. I'm not who you think I am. Now, at this point, the, the police officer got fairly frustrated because he's trying to help her, and yet he's realizing she has been brainwashed and she's forgotten who she is. He continues to talk to her, and finally, he says something like this uh, to her. He looks her in the eyes and he says, I know who you are. You are Elizabeth Smart, and I'm here to take you home. And at this, Elizabeth looked at him. She spoke in some strange kind of old English, and she said, thou hast said so, which meant, yes, I am. And he took her that day and returned her to her home, her family, her father, and her mother. Can you imagine that homecoming? A daughter who has been lost coming home. Well, this is the story of Easter. I mean, this, this is what Easter is all about. A, a heavenly father who loves his children so much that he was willing to do whatever it took to rescue them, to find them, to pursue them. And here's the deal this morning. I, I've, been a, I've been a pastor for a number of years. I'm not going to tell, tell you how many years because I'm trying to keep my youth, you know. Um, been a pastor for a number of years. And in my early days, um, I, some of you are laughing at me right now, like, 
you're not that old. Um, anyway, in my, in my, in my earlier years, um, I, I felt like my job on Easter Sunday was to convince everyone that the resurrection actually happened. And as, as I've gotten a little older, I've realized there's no possible way I'm going to be able to convince all of you that the resurrection actually happened. It takes a step of faith. And here's the deal about human life, regardless of where you are, where you've been, every human who lives has faith. Did you know that? You have faith. The question is, what, you have, what, what do you have faith in or who do you have faith in? Uh, whether you're a humanist or, 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 or Buddhist or, I mean, what, whatever it is, your, your worldview, every worldview requires faith at some level. Every worldview. Because nothing can be proven with 100% accuracy. So the question is, what have you decided is, is the most secure thing to place your faith in? That's, that's the question we all face. face. And after looking at like different religions and worldviews, I, I, I think it makes sense that there is a God who absolutely loves every human who's ever lived and has been on a rescue mission from the moment we turned and walked away from him. And that includes you. So here's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to give you the, 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 the great news up front, okay? So if you fall asleep, if you've had Cadbury eggs and, like, you go into a sugar coma, um, I'm, I'm going to give you the, the important stuff up front, and then we'll walk through a story. Are you okay with that? Are you with me? I hope you are. I mean, here we are, right? Um, so this is what Easter is all about. So if you miss everything else today, don't, don't miss this. Easter is all about a God who loves and pursues Every one of us, and that includes you. That includes you. Even if you don't want it, don't feel it, don't sense it, don't think it's true, it's true. God is pursuing you. He's pursuing you because he loves you. He's created you. You're one of his children. We're his sons and his daughters, and he's after us. Now, that sounds like he's after me. No, no, he's not like after you. He's after you. Like, he, 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 he wants to enter into this, this relationship with you. And, and how does he do this? Through, through a picture of his sacrificial love. It's Jesus who was willing to give up his life so that we could see in human form what God's love looks like. And if you were the only person, he would have been willing to lay down and be nailed to that cross just for you so you could see his sacrificial love. The Holy Spirit. Easter is about the Holy Spirit who breathed life into what was dead, Christ the Holy Spirit, God's very spirit that breathes life into all of us, breathes life in a way that he wants to bring to you life where there has been death. Now, all of us know death, don't we? We see it, we experience it, whether it's a relationship, a dream, a person. God wants to bring life to us through his spirit. And then Easter is about an invitation. And this is where I want to walk us this morning is through this this invitational idea. Now, Jesus was an invitation. And, and, and not only was Jesus an invitation, not only did he give an invitation, but Jesus destroyed anything and everything that could ever keep us from God. Now, I'm going to say that again because I think this is really, really important. Jesus destroyed anything in what he did. He destroyed anything and everything that you think and I think, could keep us from God. And that is good news. That's why we sing and celebrate, right? Isn't that good news? That there is nothing, 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 nothing that can keep you from God. 
Nothing. Your successes, your failures, your disappointments, your sin, your brokenness, your frustration with God, there's nothing. Like, God took care of all of it. He tore down anything and everything that would ever keep you from God. And this story that I want to tell you kind of leans into this this work that Christ did in a very personal way. And I want to tell you the story of, uh, of a guy named Simon Peter. Now, now you've, you've heard of Simon Peter, right? Like the, when I say the word Peter, it's not like Peter, Paul, and Mary. Um, it's a different Peter. It's the Peter um, from, from the New Testament, one of the very first followers of Jesus, one of the disciples uh, of Jesus. And, and Peter was an interesting disciple Peter had a disease called foot-in-the-mouth disease. Like he would say things before he thought about it. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever said something and then quickly been like, I wish I could reel that back in? Um, if, if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like you say something and you're like, oh, that didn't land like I thought it was going to land. Or I said that and that wasn't the best. I, like that's Simon Peter. He says things, he does things, and then quickly wants to like backtrack. Like, whoa, I probably, I, I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, uh, my wife uh, once had a situation like this. My very first interview at a church, I was just out of college, both of us, and they wanted Robin to come with us. And um, we're, we're in this interview, and they're asking me all the questions. It's this whole board, like intimidating, you know, when you're young, this whole board of, of, of people who are smarter than you, and they're asking me these questions, so I'm answering, answering, answering. I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job, you know, like not, I'm not killing it, but I'm doing a pretty good job. And then they turn to Robin, and they ask her one question. And she'll, like later, she was like, I didn't expect them to ask me a question. Like, I thought this was your job, not mine. And and they asked her this question. So we know you're, you're, you're newly married and like, how do you view yourself like in terms of ministry and what Matt's going to be doing? And she said, well, you know, we're, we're newly married, so we're still trying to figure it out. And, you know, we're young, so, you know, we're still going at it. But, and when she said, <laughs> we're still going at it and we're newly married, like my eyes like tripled and like I'm staring at the table in front of me and I'm thinking, did she say that out loud or, and, um, and, and she just like kept talking. And, um, so, so they finished the interview. No one said anything about it. No one laughed. I was dying inside. And, um, they, they kind of excused us from the interview and we closed the door and she said, well, there are other churches that we, (laughs) we could, we could go to. And um, so by God's grace, they hired us. And like two months later, we're sitting on the front row of this church, literally on the front row, and the senior pastor is sitting next to us. And um, he leans over and he goes, "Uh, my wife and I have been married 20 years and we're still going at it. (laughs) And then then he just sat there, like foot and mouth disease, right? Which I'm feeling right now for telling that story. Anyways, this is Simon Peter, and here's a picture of Simon in a moment where he says something that that I'm not quite sure he's willing to follow through on, and I think we all do this at some level with God. Um, He says to Jesus, he says, "Uh, I'm willing to die for you. I mean, he says this to Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm willing to die for you. 
And Jesus looks at him. And I, and I think Jesus probably has a smile on his face, like, like a, a compassionate smile. And, and Jesus says, die for me. Like, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll actually deny that you even know me. To which Peter is like, no, 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 no. I, I will do anything for you. Now, it's interesting when, when these stories kind of play out. Jesus is arrested and uh, he's, he's kind of taken into the city to be tried. And Peter kind of follows at a distance, like curious, like what, what, what's going to happen with Jesus? Because I, I've just given up three years of my life and, and, and I've placed all my faith in this guy. And now this guy is going to prison. Like what now? Have you ever felt that way? Like I thought this was, and then what now? So Peter follows at a distance and Jesus is taken into the high priest's home and it's like a courtyard kind of a setting. Only certain people can get in and Peter gets to the door and they're like, you can't get in. And he's like, no, no, let me in. And they say to him, wait, wait, aren't you one of Jesus's followers, the man that they just arrested? And you know what Peter says? Yeah, I know him. No, 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 no. Peter says, who? Jesus? I don't, don't know the man. They let him in. So he gets in the courtyard and he's standing around a fire. They're, they're kind of warming themselves around the fire as the night plays on. And someone at the fire looks at him and says, wait a minute, I know you. You were with Jesus when he was arrested. No, no, you must be mistaking me for someone else. I, I don't even know Jesus. Second time. A few minutes later, John tells us, someone says, wait, wait, you, you, you are, like, you're, aren't you Simon Peter, the guy who has been with Jesus for the last three years? And, and, and Peter, again, denies knowing Jesus. Now, catch the scene. I mean, there's tension all around. Jesus has been arrested. His followers are trying to stay at a distance because they don't want to be arrested as well. And all of a sudden, a rooster crows. And, and in my mind, I imagine Peter here by the fire warming himself, realizing that he has just failed miserably. And I imagine Peter glances across the courtyard and catches the eye of Jesus, who's bound, is about to die. Can you imagine the shame in that moment? Like, I was willing, I thought I was willing to, you know, and here three times, I, I can't even, I can't even say that I know the man. Well, we know how the story continues. But, but something that we don't want to miss is this, that, that Jesus will never abandon us even when we abandon him. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's like the Easter story. Even when we feel in that moment, like that shame of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. Like I told God I would never do that again. We made this deal. If he let me out, then I'd be fine. And I would go to church every week and here, I don't even know where the church is. Like, I, like we had, and, and I am such a failure, even in those moments. 
Jesus never abandons us. And that is good news. That's the Easter story that you're not abandoned, you're not left alone, even, even when you mess up. Um, I've once heard of uh, the idea that the Christian walk or the Christian journey is kind of like a path. So if you think about the McDowell's, I love to hike up in the McDowell's. If you think about the path up in the McDowell's, um, sometimes I'll take my kids up there. They don't usually move fast enough, so not always, but sometimes I'll take them up on the path. And, and as kids do, um, every now and then they wander from the path. Have you ever noticed this about kids? They're curious. They like to see, they're like, dad, I just want to hug the cactus. And I'm like, don't hug the cactus. That will hurt. They're like, I just want to try. And, and dad, this is a jumping, that's a jumping choya. Yeah, can I touch it? No, don't touch the jumping choya. Does it really jump? Well, not really. Well, how close can I get to it? Don't get close to it. It's like this, this kind of deal. That will hurt. But the kids just wander off because they want to explore everything. And, and there are two different kinds of, of dads in the world. There, there are two different kinds of dads in me. Let's just be honest. There's the dad that is just get back on the path and walk faster. There's that, right? And sometimes we think that's God, but it's not. The other, the other dad, I think, is a better picture of God. What'd you find? Hey, come on back. Like, like this is the safe way. And, and you're not going to believe what we see when we get to the top. It's like, come on, come on back. Let's, let's walk. Like, that's the God of Easter. Not the, what are you doing? Get back on the path and get moving straight. And sometimes I think we've, we've believed that that's what God's all about. And it's not. He's the one who gently brings us back. Well, we know the story. Jesus is crucified. And then there's the story of, of the resurrection, which I can't convince you of. Um, now, I, I will say that 12 men were so convinced of this, they were willing to go to their death. There's unbelievable evidence, but I can't convince you. I know. Jesus is resurrected. Peter, the one who denied Christ, guess where Jesus finds him? Fishing. Peter goes fishing. Like, what do you do when you fail God? Go fishing. Like, he's, he's out in the boat, and he's with his buddies, and he's fishing. And I love this image. Like, they're out in the boat, like, fishing along the shore. And guess who's just standing on the shore? Jesus, just standing there. He yells at him. did you catch anything? And they're probably like, not yet. Who is this guy? Like, thinks he's going to tell us how to fish. Like, we know how to fish. Like, who's the guy who thinks, why don't you try this? Okay. <laughs> Maybe we should try that. They try it. And they catch this huge, massive catch of fish. And Peter, foot in the mouth disease, like turns around and now he recognizes who's standing on the shore. Oh my gosh, that's Jesus. And what does Peter do? Now, most of us understand that if, if they're not that far from the shore, they can get to the shore faster in the boat. But Peter isn't willing to wait to get the boat back. He jumps in. Like, I, I have failed him enough. I am going with everything I am. He swims back to shore. And guess what Jesus is doing as he's standing there on the shore? He's cooked breakfast. And to cook breakfast, you ha like fish, you have to have a 
not a Coleman, a fire. You have to have a fire. Um, quick question, where, where, was, uh, where was Peter standing when he denied Jesus the second and third time? Around a fire. Jesus is standing by a fire. Coincidence? Hmm. Standing by a fire. And um, he's, standing, he's cooking breakfast. Like, Jesus doesn't need the fish that they catch, doesn't need what they have. He's already cooked up the fish, and Peter comes. And I, you know, Peter, who feels so much shame, and I couldn't even couldn't even admit that I know you, is now standing across from Jesus. And you know what Jesus says to Peter? Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Peter responds, you, God, you, Jesus, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. Real quick, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three, yep. How many times does Jesus ask Peter if he loves him? Three. Coincidence? No. For every failure in life, there comes an invitation. For, for every disappointment in life, there comes an invitation from God. For every sin in our life, for every denial in our life, for every time you turn and walk away from God, for every time I wander off the path and I kick a jumping choya thinking it's going to be fun and it hurts, there's an invitation from him. And that is good news for us all. Like every single one of us invited back. Not, not on our own merits, but based completely upon the love and the grace of a heavenly father. Aren't you thankful for that this Easter? That no matter where you've been, what you've done, no matter how long you've wandered away, that there is a God pursuing and loving you and he's taken care of any, any barrier that you might envision in the way. He's taken care of it. He simply invites you back. Um, the word Jesus used most often in the, in, the, in the New Testament, the, the stories that we have of Jesus, he used the word repent. Now, repent has all these religious connotations for us. Like, it's, weighted, it's a weighty word. Sometimes we think repentance is going into, like, a booth where we, like, confess. But confession and repentance are two very different things. To repent in the Greek language literally means to turn around. That's what it literally means. And so when Jesus says repent, he's not saying go find a priest so you can confess to him. Jesus is saying, no, no, you're wandering off the path. Repent, turn around and come back. Like he's just gently pulling us back onto, onto the path. Um, maybe this Easter, an encounter with Jesus, like hearing Jesus speak to you, Maybe that would lead you to the life you've been looking for anyway. Because all of us are looking for life, aren't we? I mean, all of us are looking for the best possible kind of life. And Jesus is the one who said, I came to give you life. That's why, that's why I came, is to give you life abundant. Some of you might say, Matt, um, like I, I, want, I want to believe. Like I want to believe that God's real, but I've just never... I've never been able to. I've never sensed that it's true. I've tried. Like, how might I even start that journey? Um, this next series that we're kind of leading into the next three weeks might, might help. 
Um, but outside of that, I want to give you a prayer this morning that I want to encourage you. If, if that's you, if you said, I've wandered, I, I don't even know if God exists, this simple prayer, God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Simple prayer. God, if you are real, I, I, I'll be open to it. Just make yourself real to me. Scripture says again and again and again, like if we'll seek him, we will find him. I mean, Scripture promises us that. If you seek him, you will find him. He's taken away every barrier. He's taken away and knocked down every wall. Anything that comes between us and him, it's taken care of. That's what Easter tells us. What Christ accomplished on the cross through his death and resurrection takes care of anything you can imagine that is keeping you from God. And he's just gently, invitation after invitation, come back, come back, come back. So there's this in your little packet. We believe, I believe, that, that Easter is a perfect moment to just think about where we are. Now, this is for you. You can open it. Um, that's a good noise across the room. Um, this is for you. If this feels offensive, if it seems out of place, you can just set it aside. That's fine. Um, we think this might be helpful. Three questions. Uh, the first one is this. Um, where, where do you think you are in, in like a journey with God. Um, so, so like how would you assess, do you, do you feel like you're, you would say, I'm, I'm close to God. Like I feel like I'm walking with him. I'm in a, I'm in a good place. Uh, or maybe you would say, no, no, I, I feel like I'm kind of, you know, I believe in God. I'm just not sure where he is. I'm, I'm, I'm far from God. Or maybe you would even say, I'm not even sure God exists. I, you know, I'm here because my wife made me come or my mom made me come. And so, so where, where might you assess your, your place on that, that spectrum? That, that second, second question there, um, have you ever felt like you lost God? Uh, every summer we go to the, the beach with our kids um, down in Florida, and uh, the kids love to look for sand dollars and shells out in the water. So they swim out, and uh, my wife and I like to not look for sand dollars and shells deep in the water. So we read or sleep or talk or whatever we do. People watch, which is funny. Um, and we always tell our kids, hey, if you're not careful, you'll drift down the shoreline and you'll lose sight of where you are. And inevitably, every year, the kids just drift. You know, they're searching, they're underwater, they're, and, and almost every year, you'll see them eventually, sometimes five hours later, pop their head out of the water and start looking like, where's dad? Where's mom? Like, I lost them. And you know what we're saying on the shore? No, you could never lose us. We're right here. You know, and we let them experience some fear. That's what a good parent does. 
But we just invite them back. Hey, come on back. You're okay. We're here. There's these moments we feel like we've, we've lost God. For many people, so many people, so many people, they feel like they lost God when they, when they went to college. They feel like college was that moment, like maybe I grew up with some understanding of God, but when I went to college, it just didn't seem important, and so I drifted away. Now listen, this might be you. For so many people, when they go to college, they feel like they've done something in college and God is just so angry that there's no way, there's no possible way to get back. And every Easter, I mean, we're reminded with this story that there's actually nothing in the way of you coming back to God, nothing. For some, it's the the loss of a loved one, loss of a dream. You feel like in that you also lost God. And then question three, um, most of us, when we feel like we've lost God, we, we, we run or escape to something else, trying to replace that, that longing that's in, in every single one of us. Uh, some have described it as a God-shaped hole within us, and we try to fill it with so many different things. I do, you do. Um, some of us, it's work. We think, if I'm successful enough at work, I'll be fulfilled. For some of us, it's habits. For some of us, it's exercise. We think if I can just get to a certain point, I look a certain way, I can do a certain thing, then I'll be fulfilled. For some, it's unhealthy habits. For some, it's relationships. I mean, all kinds of things we fill ourselves with thinking that's gonna be enough, it's gonna be enough. Uh, where Where do you run to escape? in your life. Well, maybe this would be a helpful tool for you this Easter. Um, that top question, like where do you see yourself? Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think God would answer that question differently than, than you would. Do you know that? I think sometimes we view ourselves maybe being further from God than, than he really is because he's always, always, always right there. God is with you and he's for you. And that's what Easter is all about. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah, that's good news. Um, we're gonna sing one last song just as you, as you think and process. Uh, we wanna give you some space to do that. So I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. Um, we're going to sing this, this song that talks about God's reckless love for us. And as we sing this, I want, you to, I want you to picture Jesus on the shore, just like he was for Peter, on the shore, waiting and inviting you to come home. God, in these moments, uh, as we reflect, I pray that you would... Speak to us, uh, whisper our names, help us to see you, and help us to understand your love, your grace, your mercy, your hope, this reckless love that, that drove you to pursue us.